0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sikopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing.
1: Hey, Tothy, here's a slightly uncomfortable joke. What do you call a physician in a suit?
2: Hmm, I, I don't know. I thought I would have a good comeback, but I don't. So what do you call a physician in a suit?
1: A defendant. Okay. Admittedly, Uh, a little bit of gallows humor there. (laughs) And that, that joke came to mind when I was preparing for today's podcast, Tothi.
2: Oh, well, I can understand why it would, because we're talking today about physicians and litigation and what to do when you take the stand and what not to do when you take the stand. And I know that this is both Important, and I, I have found it also in my work with physicians to be a very stress-triggering topic for many. So I'm glad you're going to help us with this one.
1: It is and- stress-triggering. You're you're exactly right about that. But look, we're gonna we're gonna work through some some of these issues. Hopefully, decrease people's level of of stress in general about this. But you know what? Before we get into the hard stuff, Tothi, let, let's just set the general mood. Give me right? some of your favorite legal movies.
2: Oh, my favorite legal movies. Um, oh, you know the one I like? It's, I um, can't remember the name, White Suits, Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise. What's that one called? Again.
1: Oh, A Few Good Men.
2: Yes, yes, yes. I love that one, of course. Uh,
1: any one of my great, What a great stuff. deal on the stand, screaming you can't handle the truth. Oh, what a fabulous you can't movie.
2: can't handle the truth. Yes, and I also, <laughs> I also like... Um, to Kill a Mockingbird is another one. Oh I yeah,
1: Harper yes. Lee, very nice.
2: And we are definitely dating ourselves, Mike, by bringing up those two older movies,
1: right? It, it, gu- guaranteed that, <laughs> um, that that we weren't in the theaters watching To uh, Kill a Mockingbird when it when it came out originally. No, but um, I will tell you one of my my favorites, Tothi, which is Malice. Have you seen that movie? You remember oh, the one? It's got Alec yeah, Baldwin in it. He yes. plays this really cocky trauma surgeon. Yes. Oh, what a great movie.
2: Yes, and Rebecca De Mornay, and she's really kind of oh, yeah. creepy in that film. And yeah, that is, uh, that's a thriller. That's a good one.
1: Oh, that, is, that yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, I love talking about movies because you know I love films, but I think we are digressing just a bit. So let's get back on track. We need to get to work, so let's cut to the chase, as they say.
1: Ooh, very nice movie like segue that. there, Tothi. Yeah. Well played. Well played. Okay. You're definitely on your A game today, so this, I, I've gotta gotta bring it today. Okay, my friend. On to the show. But first, we can't quite get there yet. We've got one more thing to do. Well, of course that would be word of the show. Oh oh so correct you are. Okay. Here comes our word of the show. In in truth, it's it's more of a of a phrase than than a word. Okay, okay, are well, you ready? Yeah, well, let's hear it. All right, voir dire. Two words, right. voir dire, and this is the legal phrase uh, that means the jury selection process. You know, when they're asking potential jurors questions, that will in legal terms is voir dire.
2: Vordire. dire. Voir vor dire. Um, am I yeah, saying? Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's
1: it's French, and you're doing it with a Michigan accent, and that's I'm doing right. it with my, my best uh, Southern Hoosier accent, so um, there there we are, but that's right, Vor Dyer. Well,
2: I have to say, I've been part of a Vor Dyer twice in my life, um, and luckily, I didn't actually get chosen, but um, I do know what it is, and I've experienced it myself, and it's um, a perfectly interesting and fitting term for the theme of this episode, so...
1: It, it sounds like you made it through the process unscathed. I well did. Done. Well
2: <laughs> done, yes, I did. So, with that bit of knowledge about the word and my previous um, interactions with the legal system, <laughs> on <laughs> with the show. Okay, Mike. So, let's talk about this issue of physicians in the courtroom and preparing for that and all of the things surrounding it so we can maybe reduce some of the stress. And I would like to start at the beginning. Let's talk about what are some of the reasons a physician might have to testify in a court of
1: law. Tell okay. Us that. All right. So that's a, good, that's a good place to start. And I guess what I'd like to offer up is that we all think of physicians testifying or anyone testifying for that matter as being in the uh, formal courtroom with the nice mahogany panels and and all of that. But the truth is the most, most testifying that goes on is done in the form of depositions. So these are statements under oath that are usually recorded maybe in the physician's office or in a conference room. There's a court reporter there, attorneys asking questions of, of someone under oath. But that's where the majority of, of testifying Um, takes place. Now, if you give a deposition, you very well may end up being called as a witness and be part of the trial and have to answer questions, some of the same questions all over again. But I think that idea of testifying really should be thought of as pre-courtroom and in courtroom and the pre-courtroom being the the depositions.
2: So sometimes, so you're saying sometimes that that can be done in the physician's office, is what you're saying. They they can yes. record. They record it right there. You don't have to go anywhere. Just uh,
1: Exa- to exactly, Tothi. And okay. what's also remember why somebody's going to want physician testimony, whether it's for a deposition that's being recorded or whether it's in the actual courtroom in front of a a judge and jury. And and it seems to me that we're really talking about two reasons. One, physicians have expert knowledge in medicine, right? So Mm -hmm. coming in to to help talk about the medicine or, or what the patient's experienced. And then the second is they very well may have specific knowledge about that patient, right? Maybe the patient was under their care and they have specific knowledge of how the patient progressed and so forth, more than just kind of generalized knowledge about the condition. Does that make sense? Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay, and, and these two things, while some may think are completely obvious, actually kind of play in as, as we go along. So from my thinking, it, it's helped to, to clarify and it'll pay, pay some dividends as we go.
2: Okay. Well, so let's stick with this topic of depositions for the moment because you mentioned that that's really what a lot of this a lot of this is. How <laughs> should a physician prepare for the can I use the legal term? depo? Cause that's what I hear people say. Oh, so uh, you're, you're picking Do up on the cool? lingo
1: now, Tothi. Get, getting way cool. Okay. Yep. Okay. So we'll, we'll go with the, uh, the depo. How are, how are you going to prepare for the, uh, the depo? So my, my first question I guess to you is, or, or to anyone is, is the depo going to be just recorded or are we actually going to bring in video cameras in video, the person giving their, their deposition, right? Because that can be done too. And it reminds me of this this physician that I was representing um, many years ago. And it never occurred to me that he didn't realize that the deposition was going to be videotaped, Tothy. Uh-oh.
0: And really, did He I didn't do the best
1: job. <laughs> I, I admit I did not do the best job. I'd prepared extensively for what kind of questions and how to answer this or that. But never did I say, oh, by the way, you know, it's going to be videoed. So, so wear something appropriate. This guy was getting ready to go off on vacation. He comes in and cut off shorts and this ah. beach t-shirt. Oh, no. It was, um, it was not my finest hour, Tothy, I have to admit. Oh boy. What A mistake happened? never to be repeated. That happens okay. to you once, you know, you, you don't, you don't forget that. No, I'm but sure you he didn't forget how you, it either. How'd you, we, how'd you resolve uh, it? We, yeah, did we, we did a couple on? tight angles on the camera so you couldn't see the full beach where okay. it wasn't a total disaster. Right. And thankfully, he was very authoritative. So, so that, that works out. Look, <clears throat> part of these preparing for the deposition is to, uh, if you're a party to the lawsuit, you're going to have an attorney and you want to work with, with him or her to have an idea what the deposition is going to be um, to cover those kind of things. The other thing um, that I find speeds things up. Is if you show up with a resume, um, because oh. there are going to be all kinds of questions about your background. And sometimes lawyers will ask a couple of questions, but if they have a resume and they have you say that it's true and accurate, they just add it as an exhibit to the to the deposition, and you can move forward without asking 22 more questions about who all, were all you trained and this and that and everything. So, um, it come come prepared. It may may save. Everybody, a little bit of time.
2: That's a great tip. So, bring the CV, and other than the improperly dressed doc, do you have any stories of poor prep? So, you know, you're going to bring the CV, you're going to dress properly, but what else could go wrong? No,
1: no, I like that question because in my world, there's always another train wreck to talk about. (laughs) Thankfully, (laughs) I was not. um, You know, I just. Out of myself on the uh, the beachwear guy, but uh, these these were not um, problems that I had, but I've I've seen them where a a physician went on to social media, apparently feeling stressed about the upcoming depot, and let loose with statements about how idiotic the process was, how the attorneys didn't know anything, blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, all of which, of course, was printed out and was part of the questioning the next day. Oh so gosh. here's a little tip for you don't uh don't go off on a rant in a public forum because you'll be questioned on it how's that that's
2: it's incredible that somebody would do that um to that would that they would lack that kind of decorum to think that that was okay but um it's a great tip so you you're like you got two gold stars right now in my mind. bring your cv don't do a public rant on social media <laughs> you,
1: you, you make me want to uh, give it a good night cleveland and just kind of wrap it up here Dothi. i got my gold stars let's just um pack it up for the uh, for the day
2: oh that's so funny all right mm. any other any other good juicy stories oh no
1: that- look, look, just generalized rant and, and that kind of brings the whole social media thing right i mean yeah. know that people are going to be uh, be be looking at um at what what you post and any comments that you have have made, so and, and
2: all of that gets brought up by the um, opposing counsel, right? So anything sort of anything publicly available, so you just got to be really careful about all that because it will it will reappear.
1: That uh, th- that it will.
2: <laughs> all right. Okay. So let's be gauche for just a moment, Mike. Let's Ooh, talk okay. about money. Let's Talk about money how are physicians paid for testifying? I mean, are they always paid? Are they sometimes paid? How does that um, factor into this, the the payment? All
1: right. I'm happy to answer that. But first, I just want to let it know it, look, it, it, it's a clear sign that you are neither a, a lawyer or a physician because you've waited to this point in the interview to raise the topic of cash, right? <laughs> if, if, if you were, if you're a member of the bar, this would have been question number one, Tothi. So hats <laughs> How much off money? to you. All right, my friend, let's, let's talk, um, let's talk money here. Um, there you, you do get paid as an expert witness. If you are, Sadly, a defendant in a case, you would not get paid by your insurance company as part of your own defense. But okay. if you are if you're brought in as an expert in, in some kind of a case, maybe it's a patient was injured and it's a personal injury case, it was an automobile case, and they want the physician to testify as to the extent of the injuries of, of his or her patient, that would be one where you'd come in and oftentimes are um, paid to, uh, to offer that kind of testimony. Right. And typically the way this works is in in poor physicians don't don't really always understand this until later in the game. Get a retainer. It's just like the the attorneys operate. You're going to say, I estimate it's going to be X number of hours to prepare and and do this. And my rate is whatever per hour. And those I've seen those hourly rates fluctuate from uh, in the low end of Two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars on up to a thousand to twelve hundred dollars, depending upon the expertise or the specialty of medicine. Okay. Right? So, but but you are to be paid by on an hourly basis. It is it improper. Illegal big rule violation. If you are paid on a contingent basis, if somebody says, "Hey, if this goes well and you give good testimony, we'll give you a cut of what we get at the end of this case," big red flag oh. that violates ethics rules. Okay, so you cannot take a piece of the action in exchange for your testimony. You've got to do this on the, on an hourly basis. And that makes makes sense. How do,
2: how do yeah, and how do how do physicians typically? come up with that hourly rate is it based on what they make as a doctor or is there a particular rate range it, for expert witnesses it is
1: it, it, it is i think it it's it's more than what you would make if you were in the exam room or or in the uh in the o r frankly uh, on right. a per hour basis because it's pulling you away from your your normal flow and doing something um, a little bit different and there can be time periods where you're you're waiting and whatnot so um so it's usually a little bit higher, and you can always ask others what, what they've been doing, uh, but but that's generally the range um, I have not seen in a long time anything less than $250, and in, it seems to me the normal range is um, in that that $5 to $750 range, um, and that may also vary depending upon where in the country you are. I'm sure if you're in San Francisco or New York, the rates are going to be higher than they are in Terre Haute, Indiana.
2: I see. That makes total sense. Cost of living and all that sort of thing. Okay.
1: There's there's one one other thing about this this general topic of of, of money money, um, (laughs) is that you need to know when you are testifying uh, that your testimony is considered the practice of medicine in most states. Not all states, (laughs) but if you are are giving... um, medical opinions that, that falls in the, the practice of medicine, which means you're subjecting your license uh, to to review or potential criticism. And that's one reason that some people feel like they should be uh, compensated at a, at a higher uh, rate because they could have problems with a professional society or with a licensing board based off of testimony given in a court.
2: I, I see. So basically you're saying that the testimony is As if they were practicing medicine, they would be, they're rendering opinions and thoughts and answering questions as if they were evaluating perhaps medical records or a patient. So they're...
1: Exactly. And so if you want to be an expert in a case in Florida and you're not a Florida physician, you're not licensed in Florida, uh, you have to go through a abbreviated process to actually get a form of a license to serve as an expert witness. So Florida's taken it to a bit of an extreme. Um, but other states have similar type of type of rulings that it really does have. You can't just testify to anything you want because it can have ramifications.
2: Okay. All right. Well listen, we have gotten through the money question, which was the big one. Maybe we should have asked that one first. Cha-ching. So I think before we go on uh, with some of the other questions. Let's take a quick break, and then we will be back to talk with Mike about more ways to prepare to take the stand. Okay, we're back, and we're talking with Mike today about taking the stand and how physicians can prepare for, legal, ish, for um, legal proceedings and being an expert witness. And Mike, just before the break, you were talking about how medical societies and licensing boards can come into play when a physician testified. So tell uh, tell us a little more about that, would you?
1: Sure, Tothie. And I think that this is a, a topic that doesn't get nearly enough attention. Um, most professional societies have actual rules or ethics rules about offering testimony. So um, ACOG, for example, for the obstetricians, gyne- gynecologists would have uh, specific ethical rules about their members testifying, oh. obviously for, for medical purposes, right? Yep. So um, as as does some other organizations. And all of this started, there's a little bit of a, of a history uh, lesson, but it started, I think back in the in the 1990s, that the American Academy of Neurological Surgeons, AANS, um, had s- received a complaint that one of its members had testified in a way that um, could be just way out and, and no one in the group would have agreed to the type of, uh, of positions taken by this uh, person. So they moved to sanction and remove the physician from their organization. Hmm. All right. The physician, um, I believe his name. There's a public record of this. is is, uh, is Doctor Austin, and he he fought back by filing a claim, saying that he should be um, that they didn't have any right to to put him out of the out of the club. And it it got litigated, and ultimately a appeals court ruled that organizations do have the ability to put out a member if the member espouses things that are not believed by the organization. Mm-hmm. That opened the door to the, and so then all kinds of professional societies begin to have some form of policing or accountability for the way their doctors uh, testified, and if you just testified to things that is one of my clients referred to as um, you know, dog lab science, I think was the term that that uh, he pejoratively gave it, you, you could, in fact, be put out of a professional society. So this was geared at these expert witnesses that testify for plaintiffs and would say anything for a paycheck. I think the vast majority of people out there would never do that. But there were some that were making their living as a professional expert witness. And if you cut a large enough check, they would testify to whatever you needed. And so now professional societies have a way of, of policing their, their membership. And to be fair to the members, they have ethical standards that are, are known. And you can look them up or, or get them off of your society's website. And so I'm just saying, as a friendly reminder, before you take the stand, you should be acquainted with what your ethical duties are through your professional societies um, because there could be, be consequences.
2: So what I hear you saying, Mike, is that any time a physician is asked to testify, uh, sp- for sure, for the first time, or maybe be a wet- expert witness, he or she should check in with the Specialty Society and see what these guidelines are so they make sure that they kind of stay within these guidelines, st- stay within the lines, if you will, right, when they're
1: testifying. I think it's not a bad idea. Well, most people never have any issue with this. But the guidelines are easy to find online from your specialty society. You don't have to be sherlock holmes to to find these things, and you can review them very quickly so I think that's a good good safe thing to to do I should also since we're on this generalized topic uh give a a nod to a friend of the uh the the podcast and a, a past uh guest uh jeff siegel of of Medical Justice, who helps a lot of people with these type of of issues so All right. Hats off to Jeff.
2: Good, good. Um, So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I've heard that doctors that are going to testify shouldn't talk about their upcoming testimony. They're supposed to kind of keep it on the QT. Well, certainly, as we said before, as you said before, they shouldn't be spouting it on social media. Um, That seems to be common sense. But should they talk about it at all? Is this true that they should keep quiet? And if so, why why are they not supposed to be talking so, about their testimony? So
1: so this is one of the things that contributes to people's stress and seems just incredibly unnatural is that attorneys will tell their client, look, do not say anything about what we've discussed. Don't discuss the facts of this, right? And okay, this is a big deal in your life and then you're not able to talk to anybody about it. That just increases the stress. But maybe if you understand the background of, of where this is, is all coming from, it could be, could be helpful. And the idea here is that communications and analysis that you go through with your own attorney is covered by a privilege. And so nobody can ask you, "Well, what did you say to your attorney or what you, you're thinking on this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all, it's all privileged. But if you go and tell a third party, you know, when I was talking to my lawyer, we we decided we're gonna try X, Y, and Z strategy. That waves the privilege off. Not just to that third party that you told, but to everybody. Think of it, you either have a privilege or you don't. So lawyers are deathly afraid that somehow the privilege is gonna be yanked away and then they can't communicate confidentially with their own client. So that's why you get all these dire warnings, no matter what you do, pain of death, don't say anything to anyone. Don't, um, you know, look out of the corner of your eye at your spouse because that may be, construed. <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous, right? But that is the basis and that's the fear is that it's extraordinarily hard to work for or defend someone or help them in litigation if you can't have private or confidential communications and that whipping off the the privilege rips it off, and then um, you've got real problems. So that's why they're trying to guard it.
2: Once you tell somebody outside of your attorney, it's fair game for everybody. Privilege is gone. So don't do It, it.
1: Exactly. If the other side finds out, they're going to claim that you've waived the privilege. And you don't waive it just to that issue. You waive it to everything. It either exists or it doesn't. So not like, well, what did you say about this issue? It's like anything you've ever discussed with your lawyer on this case. So it's it's not something that you want to have happen. It would be very unpleasant and could be could be frightening. And all that could be used against you in court. So that's why they're saying, you know, keep it, keep it down um, and don't don't discuss it. It's out of an abundance of caution. But I realize that ups the stress and seems completely unnatural. Well, but
2: this also just takes us into this topic now of working with counsel. So this is one way that your counsel is going to advise you don't don't say anything outside of privilege and you know we want to keep this privilege we know that but you know they you've got to manage your stress on that but what else with um working with counsel is what you want to share with the folks today that they need? sure
1: to- we, i mean we could we could do a whole podcast or two about this but but let me keep it keep it brief first remember there there's nothing magical about about your counsel they do not know um medicine to the level of, of the physician. So oftentimes they need to be coached or brought up to, brought up to speed. I uh, tell the, my, my father for most of my, my life was was a um, medical malpractice defense attorney mm-hmm. and he would tell his clients with the start of the case was trying to understand what was going on. View me as a extraordinarily smart sixth grader. And you know, that's not all bad, right? You got somebody who's bright, but doesn't know anything. And is you've got to, get it down to their type of level of terminology. And, um, and so that was, I think a a decent approach for a lawyer to take. And anyway, um, that's part of when you're working with counsel, your job is to help your lawyer help you get him or her up to speed on the, on the medicine.
2: So even so, so what, let me see if I understand that. So, if, even if you're working with a physician who's worked with a lot of, or excuse me, an attorney who's worked with a lot of physicians, don't assume anything. Just really, they're smart people, but dumb it down in terms of the medicine stuff so that they can really understand the case and that helps them help you better, more effectively.
1: That, that, that's right. And the other thing that I found, because I, I did some, some med mal defense for for a good while, and one of the things that, that I always did, at least for surgical procedures, is I wanted to see the, the procedure in action. It, admittedly, this was a while ago, and it could have raised some HIPAA issues, so we won't touch on that. But I would actually go in and kind of stand in the corner of the OR and watch what was going on. It was invaluable because there's this whole cast of characters that the physician doesn't necessarily think about. The circulating nurse. And I I was looking at the interplay between people, the physicians completely fixated on the the field of vision and the surgery, but what else is going on? Who else knows what parts are involved? And that really helped uh, to develop defense strategies and and so forth. Um, So the more knowledge, and don't assume that your lawyer knows anything or is familiar with how the OR works, Uh, you're so busy describing what you're doing that sometimes you forget about all the ancillary people and what their jobs are and what their roles are. And that, to me, as a a malpractice defense attorney, was invaluable to understand the, the global picture and not just the view through the surgeon's eyes.
2: Fascinating. Interesting stuff. Well, let's move on to the main event now, shall we? Like taking the witness stand doctor it's takes a stand the it's event. time it's time what should we do and not do on the witness stand
1: tell us o- Inform okay us. so quick quick review we we talked about privilege probably more than you wanted to know Tothi, uh, about privilege about you know it was keeping important. things privilege well, well I I think so but that's me. Um, okay. And then we also talked about dress. You want, um, obviously want to look at, look appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> one of my, my law school classmates was doing this mock trial and had not gotten his witnesses up to speed. And one of them showed up in a t-shirt that said, I do my best work in bed. That is oh. not the kind of thing that you oh. want to trot out in front of the jury, right? So no. a common sense here. Everybody wear a little decorum. Uh, proper clothing we've covered we've covered we've covered that, but my big message here, tofi is that and this is where I see people go go straight what you want to focus on is conveying the information and remember it's not about you you're you're definitely on the stand and all eyes are on you, but it's not about it's not about you if you're spending your time uh, showing off your knowledge of of medical terms and how crafty you can be in trying to uh, answer a, a question. The focus becomes you and not the information, and that's where I think a lot of people go go wrong.
2: So how do they how do they handle that? They, you know, just be mindful so, of your check your ego at the door, or be mindful of pontification. Of but
1: but think think of yourself as as a teacher. That oh, I think perfect. goes a okay. long way, right? You were trying to teach someone about an area of medicine and they don't have any medical training. The, the, the jurors are are far more removed from medicine than the attorney who does med mal cases, right? And you had to help your attorney, these jurors. I mean, these are the people that are walking into Walmart at 3am, right? You're going to have to back way up and mm-hmm. simplify it, right? Without being offensive. How do we convey very complex ideas, and cutting-edge medicine in a way that the average person can pick up on it. And that is what makes someone a very good witness or a not-so-good witness if they can't do it, in my opinion. It's not how much they know. It's not how much experience they have. It's how well they can convey information.
2: Okay. So that's what they need to focus on. Think like a teacher and convey information, complex information, in simple terms that, that the jury can understand.
1: That's right. And the other thing is don't don't try to anticipate what questions are coming next and then answer them. I've had people do that. Well, what I think you're getting to is blah, 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 blah. No, no. The, the, the questions are specifically tailored or should be to lead to a point where somebody wants to go and, and wants to build the evidence. And I think typically trial attorneys are better at doing that because that's really their living than the witness is in trying to figure that out and do it for him or herself. So answer what's before you. Okay.
2: Oh, can I ask you one question? I wanted to go back to something because I, I thought about it after you went on to the next topic. When You've said a couple of times, dress dress appropriately. And I wondered, do you have sometimes the physician... Coming directly from the OR in scrubs or in a white coat, or is this a business suit? I mean, I would imagine it's a business suit of a business attire of some kind is the preferred address. I think I, I think right? bus-
1: I think business attire is all right. It, if someone is um, coming directly from from clinic and is in in scrubs, I mean, I think that that's also not desirable, but but acceptable. Okay. Um, so.
2: But beach wear use beach use wear, your best no.
1: judgment but it, it it is a it is a formal setting, so you yeah. want to look the part,
2: Yeah, but beach wear no, no, like, beach the, wear like the
1: guy. <laughs> doesn't doesn't make the cut Toby. like the
2: guy in the depot <laughs> no yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, thank you for that painful <laughs> reminder
2: uh, <laughs> okay. any any anything else about what uh, the physician should consider to do or not do on the witness stand
1: it, we We all watch the news and see politicians interviewed. And don't you hate when they just avoid questions or try to talk about other things and oh, yes. asked a specific question. Nobody will like you if you do that. Look, answer the question. Answer the question. It's going to be, it, it, it'll keep it from being repeated. There's not going to be some slick answer that um, diverts the attorney's attention. They're, they're, they're onto that. You're not getting anywhere and you're just aggravating the juror and taking up your time too. So don't try to de- play politician and, and divert to uh, what, what, what's the, uh, the key term there? Is it pivot? Is that the, uh, the, uh, on that? Not, not the place to, um, to do that. So. So
2: if I distill these, I think these were four great points, dress appropriately, think like a teacher, um, make your, make your, your information digestible and understandable for an audience that's not experts. Third one is be present and don't anticipate questions. And then the fourth one is answer the question. <laughs> I love that. Just
1: answer the question. <laughs> Seems obvious, does it not? But you'd be surprised.
2: I, I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, last question is about the judge. So what about hmm. the judge? Do you have to direct, directly interact with the judge? How does, what, what are the as a, what are as a best witness, tips there?
1: As a witness, not, not typically. The judge normally swears everybody in we've all seen that on television right mm-hmm. you know swear to tell the truth whole truth nothing but um, so there's a little bit of that judges are free to to ask uh, questions uh, of the it's not just lawyers that can ask a question a judge can ask a, a question if he or she wants to um, but generally the judge's role is to uh, be an impartial referee if there is a jury to make sure that the jury gets the information that they're supposed to doesn't hear information they're not supposed to, but they're they're making the calls on what evidence comes in, what evidence comes out, how long we're going to go for the day, um, all of these kind of things so they're a bit of a of a referee, so you shouldn't have to have a lots of direct interaction um, with the with the judge
2: so wh- where should the physician be? Looking when he or she is talking. I mean, is that is that even a relevant question? I'm just trying to think. No, think like, how good, can you good show good respect?
1: Question. No, no. It, it's a it's a very good question and one that when you're preparing, or at least when I'm preparing my witnesses, I I go over. Um, I think that you're to look at the people that you're giving the information to that are are making the decision, which is the jury, because that that's really who this testimony is for. If you have a jury, um, if you don't have a jury. I think it doesn't hurt to look at the judge if, if he or she's making the ruling um, to at least in in part. But we are all trained and it's our normal life when somebody asks us a question that we look them in the eye and give them an answer, right? The lawyer's asking the question. So sometimes I try to position myself over by the jury. So naturally, you're looking that direction. Um, but ultimately, that think about who you're giving the information to, whose benefit is this information for, and that's who. I I say you should direct your attention to and focus your answer on.
2: Okay. Great. The well, other
1: thing, Tothi, before we get off of this this judge is that the judge can give uh specific instructions to witnesses of things uh to do or 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 not do and you certainly want to follow them. They'll say you may not have interaction with other witnesses for example in some some situations or, um, no posting on social media about this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've seen witnesses have big trouble with judges because they tried to on Facebook friend, one of the members of the jury. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. Are you kidding? Things not to do right. Things that really set the judge sideways because that has the potential of skewing the whole trial getting a mistrial and everybody have to go back and start from square one. So you can imagine the, um, the rage that that was met with. So thanks. Right. One, you know, add that to the list of yeah, what, what not to do. One hundred and one. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> don't
2: are, friend the jury. <laughs> don't friend on the, Facebook. Jury, the
1: judge. Just get, get through the process. Oh my your,
2: gosh. Your social well,
1: media interactions. <laughs>
2: Well, you have given us a ton of practical tips about testifying, Mike. This is wonderful. I hope, hope our audience will be better prepared and feel comfortable next time they take the stand or ask to take the stand. This, is, this was great. I mean, I love good. this. If I could circle back and think about like, you know, bringing your resume, bringing your CV, uh, don't go on rants on social media, simple <laughs> things like not friending jurors or the judge on Facebook. No, this is really good stuff. So thanks. This is good, good stuff, Mike
1: well well th- thanks Dothy. you know there there are really few people that are ever going to feel truly comfortable testifying and I think everybody needs to 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 realize that, and certainly, I help people by practicing with them before they they testify and I would say for everyone out there that's going to testify, it does not hurt to to practice go to the courtroom when nobody's in it. That's another you know, kind of thing that uh, that can do. But there, there are lots of ways to become um, more comfortable and better with this, which definitely always reduces your stress when, when testifying. Like most things in life, Tothi, it takes a little bit of practice.
2: Great. Well, we're going to let that be the last word. Thanks, Mike.
1: Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our our interview. If you did, please consider rating us on our website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcast or Google Play.: Yes, we would
2: really appreciate that. And if you would like to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast uh, or a topic or something you'd like to hear, please email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com.
1: and please join us next time on sound practice don't forget we release a new episode
0: every other wednesday you've been listening to sound practice the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com if you have any suggestions about future episodes we'd love to hear them Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com.